0: what's funny is that i was actually in class and i'm like i need to step out for a few moments and then like i read the email i'm like oh my gosh this is it this is the first steps of reconnecting this is big stuff
1: hey and welcome to i'm adopted now what a podcast where we talk about all things race culture and identity one chat at a time. This is for people who want to get real, get deep, and figure out now what. I'm your host, Liza. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Last week, when I was editing, I realized that there was a little bit of an echo uh, in my recording. So I am back in my closet this week and hopefully the echo problem will be solved. Sorry about that. I wanted to start today's episode with another Q&A uh, because I thought the last one went really well and I got great feedback on it. So I think it's, you know, I'm going to keep doing it for the rest of the season and we'll see how it goes. So jumping right into things, uh, one question that was submitted was, when was the moment you believed in yourself and realized that that was true? Uh, now, when you say realized that was true, I'm assuming you mean just like when did when was the first time you really believed in yourself and knew that you were onto something, like you knew you were on the right track and maybe that this time would be different from however many other times there were in the past where you thought you could do something or you know, something like that. Any kind of situation like that. Uh, if you're asking... Now, because I believe that this person is asking me personally, uh, hmm. I would say that the most recent time in my life where I really believed in myself and I knew that I was onto something and I knew that no matter what happened, this would be a point in my life where there was no going back. You know, this was a checkpoint. And no matter how far I made it or if I failed in any future endeavor, you know, I had this moment to come back to. It may be cliche and certainly predictable, but I would say that all of that kind of came together for me uh, when I started this podcast and when I was researching how to start a podcast all of last year. You know, I've said before that I've never done anything like this. And so for me to really commit to it uh, and not chicken out for whatever reason, whether it was lack of confidence in myself or fear of being judged or I don't know that it would just fail and everyone would hate it or something like that. Um, but yeah, this whole podcasting process has definitely been that moment for me where now, you know, I'm in my third season and I feel like I'm just, just starting to get the hang of things and figure it out. Um, and I really hope that, you know, there is, no point of return from from here i hope whatever i do i always have this podcast to come back to and all of the important valuable lessons and things i've learned uh in do in starting this endeavor as well um is really uh a turning point for me in my life that is a great question and i'm really interested to know what your answer is so if you are listening and you submitted this question then please uh, DM me and let me know if you've had a moment like that and describe it for me and what was it like for you. The next question is, what is the most unexpected thing you've learned interviewing adoptees? I love this question. This is a great question. And actually, I get asked this a lot in my like own personal life all the time uh, when I'm telling people what I do Uh, and we get into it a little bit, that's a question that always comes up. So I'm really happy I get the chance to address it here. There has definitely been way more than what this, in this top of the episode, will allow for me to include in terms of what I've learned. But I think overall, in a more general sense, the most unexpected thing that I've learned through interviewing other adoptees is just how possible it really is to feel connected to essentially strangers. Uh, You know, I never thought of myself as a particularly outgoing uh, or extroverted person. Um, I know that that might seem sort of counterintuitive, based on, I don't know, my podcasting personality or something. Uh, But don't forget, podcasting, I'm just talking to a microphone and all these clothes hanging up in my closet. It's, you know, less uh, with actual people unless it's an interview. And the reason I say that is because, so I've never thought of myself as an outgoing or extroverted person. when I'm operating, you know, in a social setting in my own life, I do know how to schmooze pretty easily. Uh, but I don't really reveal a lot of personal stuff about myself. I'm a very private person and to get to kind of that level of information uh, with me, I really have to trust you and we have to have a really consistent and communicative and reliable relationship and all of that is earned. So I tend to keep that group of people fairly small. Now, the reason I bring this up is because my answer to the question was the most unexpected thing I've learned through interviewing adoptees is just how possible it is for me to actually get to that level of openness and, you know, sharing deep, real things, serious things with other adoptees who I've met for the first time or have known for one day or a few hours, right? So I never thought that it was possible for me personally that I had the capability to go that deep and get that real with complete strangers. But it is possible and I do it and it happens with the people that I interview. Not all of them because you know, we're all humans and some humans are going to hit it off better than others. And I don't think that that's anything negative at all. I think that's just the nature of being of all of us being different. But as a whole, I would say that I have surprised myself with how comfortable I do feel getting that real and deep with people who I've never met before. And that 100% has to do with the shared experience of being adopted. And I never thought in a million years, like I thought, okay, yeah, there are people, there are other adoptees out there who have their own experiences with their adoption and blah, 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 and all of that uniqueness that comes with each adoptee's own experience. And that is all true. But never in a million years did I think that having only being adopted in common would be enough to create access to that level of connection with other people. Now that is what I have learned personally, but I think it also is the same for adoptees in general. I think I've learned uh, that other adoptees feel the same way as me. You know, we're all strangers and we've all never met before, but there's something about knowing that the other person you're talking to is an adoptee that just breaks down those walls faster and in a more effective way that allows for uh, better conne- better quality connection. And I think overall, I've definitely sensed that uh, reaction from adopt from other adoptees as well. And so I think across the board, for me personally, for other adoptees I've interviewed, that ease of connecting, even though you don't know each other, has definitely been the most unexpected pleasantly unexpecting thing from all of this now the last question i'll go through really quick if you had siblings what was your sibling dynamic like growing up and how did adoption affect it i personally don't have any siblings i didn't grow up with any and that is why the answer to this question is so short but i think that is a great question Uh, maybe for me to ask the audience next week in my ask the audience segment, because most of the adoptees I've interviewed do have siblings. Some of them are also adopted and some of them are biological siblings. So I think that's an interesting question. And I'm curious to know how adoption influences those dynamics as well. So I will definitely keep that in my list of possible ask the audience questions and you might see it next week. Okay, and it is just about 10 minutes, so that is all the time uh, we have for the Q&A this week. Moving on into the uh, interview section, I got to talk with Cameron this week. I really hope you enjoy our chat, and make sure you stay tuned at the end for my reflections on the conversation as well as my thoughts on the whole idea of being you or what makes you, you, and a small breakdown of the psychology behind it. So yeah, don't forget that at the end. Here we go. Also really quick, I want to apologize again for the audio of this interview. I recorded this before moving back to my closet, so bear with me. Hopefully next week, all of that will be solved. Hey everyone, thanks for coming back to the show. Uh this week I have Cameron here with me on the podcast. If I believe if I'm remembering correctly, I think uh we were put in touch. We like, you know, found each other through the Subtle Asian Adoptive Traits group on Facebook. Yes, that's
0: correct. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um and you were so kind to help me with some audio stuff and answer some questions that I had yeah. like back in the beginning when I had no idea what I was doing, although Yeah. It doesn't feel like that's so far from from now. <laughs>
0: wow, time flies so fast, you know.
1: I know. Uh, how how are you?
0: I'm doing fine. How about yourself?
1: Awesome, I'm doing awesome. Thanks for being here. Uh, you're now, you're can you kind of give the audience a little bit of an introduction about uh, to yourself and what what's going on in your life right now?
0: Yes, totally. Hi, I'm Cameron Wapner. I was adopted from Seoul, South Korea, at four months old. I grew up in Los Angeles my whole life. Then around 2017, I currently live in Portland, Oregon.
1: Nice. And uh, what do you do for a living or what's your career occupation?
0: So I'm currently interning at a uh, indie punk label called Manic Cat Records and based in New York City. Well, around there, like outside New York pretty much.
1: Awesome. And how do you... Is, is that like what you always wanted to do? Is that you, you have like a cool... Uh, recording setup so I feel like it's you found your your calling
0: I think like uh, I've always wanted to get a better understanding of the music industry because if I ever work with anything around music it will give me a better understanding of what the working in the music industry is like I'm most likely doing like downloading videos doing some tour teasers announcements and everything for the time being it gives me a better understanding on that perspective which I really like
1: That's awesome. That's really cool. So you mentioned you were adopted uh, at four months old from South Korea. Yes. What other information do you have? You know, how did you come across that information? How do you know how old you were? And, you know, maybe now's a good chance to just go into your adoption story a bit.
0: Yeah. So the only information that I know is is that my birth parents were actually pretty young they were like fresh out of high school and i mean mm. they were like freshies out of high school being like oh look they just finished high school like i don't know what, what else there was um they were around 18 i believe when they had me but like my birth mom gave me the name hosu and then like the hospital of course would give you a last name so pak so who knows what my last name would have been originally so there's that part. Um, mm. She originally decided to go to Holt for to put me up for adoption right away, mm-hmm. and she like even back then she wasn't wasn't financially ready or something to have me, which is understandable, which I totally get. Mm-hmm. And I'm really happy with where I am today. Honestly, I'm hoping like I already have like some type of contact with my birth mom. I'm on the oh, first wow. phase. Yeah, I'm still in the first phase right now, but I want to try and like the second phase would try to like talk through social media like kakao talk or something because that's like really the best way they that all koreans use Mm -hmm. and i want to like try to get in contact with her through there and i might be heading there probably next year for the asian championships for cup stacking
1: wow that's Mm. awesome oh yeah i see you have a bunch of cups behind you on your shelf (laughs) that well that's Well. That's really cool. I didn't before. realize that was a competition or... Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's really neat. Uh, so, okay. So what do you mean when you say first phase versus second phase and that you're in contact with her, but, uh, you know, it's in this first phase uh, So situation?
0: the first phase is pretty much for me, in my opinion, would be like just having the adoption agency, just messaging them back, back to them pretty much in mm-hmm. perspective and to see where things go. Like, I don't really send her a lot. Like every other, like I'm deciding like twice some like twice a year, like within the middle of the year and then towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I want to send I want to send her like a letter saying like what's going on in my life and just keeping her like in the loop so that mm-hmm. she wouldn't know what's going on.
1: I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh and how did you find her originally?
0: So I told international had their post adoption services. I I could have had it done sooner, but like I had a lot of things going on. So it ended Mm -hmm. up taking a year for me to get it completely done, unfortunately. So there's that. I ran, I recently, like when I heard the news that they found my birth mom, it was around summer of 2019, actually.
1: Oh, wow. So not so long ago.
0: Yeah, it was pretty recent. And I also found out that I have a half little sister as well, so.
1: And what was, do you remember like that day when you found out?
0: Yeah, I think I was What's funny is that I was actually in class and I'm like, I need to step out for a few moments. And then like, I read the email, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the first steps of reconnecting. This is big stuff. Mm-hmm, absolutely.
1: And um, what is the background of your family? You know, your adoptive family, the family you grew up so with.
0: So my current family right now, um, my mom, Does volunteer work for as what they call the gateway center for helping domestic abused women actually get restraining orders, which is a really nice thing for her to do and I'm like, I always check in to see how she's doing like if you need anything just tell me I can get you some new water and everything she appreciates that a lot. Um, My dad does a lot of work. He's currently living in LA right now. Mm -hmm. He works at the Hollywood Bowl currently for the summer. He does sound mixing for the LA Philharmonic Mm, and every other, like, yeah. And then the rest of the year is just the Walt Disney concert hall.
1: Got it. And how do they feel about, do they know that you're uh, in touch with your birth mother and interested in pursuing a connection with her? And how do they feel about that?
0: They feel really happy that I was able to get some partial answers at least, which is like, it's something, it's something, it's it's a pro it's a progress, you know? Yeah,
1: definitely. That's awesome. Uh, Going back a little bit to talk about your childhood and your Mm -hmm. parents, now that we're mentioning them, did you feel like adoption was something that you talked about a lot in the house? You had a lot of questions and they were, Mm. you know, how did they handle the subject of adoption with you growing up?
0: To be truthfully honest, I always known that I was adopted for a lot of reasons because like white people, white family, because it just made sense. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, I'm not in Korea. I'm in the States. It just makes sense, you know. Mm -hmm. And like I didn't really bring adoption up a lot as a kid, but like once a year when I was younger, I always have like a lot of other Korean adoptees that I knew in my circle that we always have like get togethers at my place and have dinner all the time. So it was Mm -hmm. like a once a year deal. So we all get together, have fun and just catch up see how we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um I started getting more serious into it when I was like in, in, in my like junior year of college or something.
1: Mm. And what do you remember why exactly that it was at that time in your life uh that you uh started being more interested?
0: I think that like there is a company that like I'm really good friends with out there in Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh they're currently they based in Daejeon and it's the uh KSSA for cup stacking, and they say that they really want me to work with them. So it's like one of the reasons why I want to like move back to Korea is like for that reason, and to also hopefully like be reconnected with my biological family. Mm-hmm. See how that goes, you know. Mhm. Uh,
1: that's so awesome. I mean, wow. Uh, what, what do you imagine happening, uh, when you? finally go to Korea and meet her face to face
0: it's gonna be more of a emotional roller coaster honestly because waiting this long to meet her is gonna be filled with like I don't know what else to say just hug her and be like I've waited for this moment my whole life mm mm-hmm.
1: And why do you think that is? Did you spend a lot of time as a child like wondering about, oh, I wonder if she's thinking about me, does she remember me? Or, you know, um what where does that come from the des- you know, the desire to want to connect with her?
0: I think when I was younger, I really never had those thoughts back then until I was like around 18, 19 or so that I wanted, I was like really curious to See if they were still around and everything. I know for a fact that my birth mom and dad aren't even together because my birth mom married someone else, which is which makes sense. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So do you what kind of emo, like emotions do you feel in terms of being adopted?
0: I really wouldn't know because there's a lot of emotions that go through my head because there's like either happy, sad, excited, upset, disappointed, all of those. It's just, it, there's a lot of emotions that go through my mind, but it's mostly more of a, po- I try to always stay positive no matter what the circumstances are.
1: Mm, mm-hmm, I see. Yeah, I, I think uh you said it was around like high school when you kind of started getting more interested in your adoption history and all of that
0: yeah around there I then I took like a year off because I needed to take care of some stuff and then yeah. I started getting more into it during like 2019 and then when COVID hit and everything then I found this double Asian adoptee traits group
1: oh okay that's awesome how did you how wait how did how did you come across them you just kind of randomly on Facebook or
0: yeah I think I was randomly searching I'm like wait there's a whole Several Asian Adoptee Trades Facebook group. Wow, that's cool. So I might as well join that. And then I went to the Zoom call and the rest is history.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, did you feel like, like, because I know for me, when I found that group and I you know, would scroll through and read, I'd be like, oh my God, you know, I can't believe there are other people that have felt the same way that I have felt. I thought I was the mm-hmm. only one. Did you have that same reaction?
0: Yeah, I did. Yeah. As well.
1: uh, wh- if you can think of one, what is um, like something that specific that happened to you where you thought, oh, my God, this could only happen to me. And then really... when you look back on it, it was really mm. related to you being an Asian, Ameri- like an Asian adoptee living in America.
0: I really don't know, honestly. It's just like there many different ones, but I can't really think of one on top of my mind honestly straight up Mm
1: -hmm. have you Um, experienced any like racism directly or direct racism towards you in covid especially or since the pandemic especially
0: i believe so um when i started like getting onto like other social medias and streaming like on tiktok for example right there was a lot of like asian hate and i'm like you guys really have nothing else to do in your lives huh (laughs)
1: yeah definitely are are you an only child
0: um no I'm not I actually have a have a younger sister Uh she's like a year younger than me um she was she's also a Korean adoptee as well
1: oh that's awesome that's cool yeah uh do you know why your parents adopted you
0: um because my mom was always wanted to adopt a kid from like the very start from what I remember
1: Hmm hmm and 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 that's what have you ever you asked them that and that's what they they've told you
0: that's what they told me actually i'm like well i don't blame them now at this point
1: yeah mm-hmm. do you see adoption for yourself if you want children in the future
0: i really do see it happening in the future honestly
1: Mm
0: -hmm. yeah there is someone that like that's into me but she lives outside the country obviously so I can like talk with her about it and she if she's fine with that I'm like perfect I think we're all good to go (laughs) that's great Yeah. yeah
1: um well that's awesome I I'm thinking um how do you identify how does your adoption play into your identity you know as an adult now operating in the world how would you you know in for example I mean like uh for me my adoption now makes me so much more aware of my Asian-ness my Asian Mm -hmm. appearance when I'm out in public whereas before I never really thought about my adoption in a way that would allow me to see that I'm a different race when I'm you know yeah running errands or whatever
0: Mm -hmm. i think that like it was like when i was younger i really didn't take my like appearance or anything very seriously until like more recent that i take it more seriously Mm -hmm. because i've been watching more korean variety shows which i really love Mm -hmm. um i've been watching like i've been talking with a lot of friends from south korea they're not adopted but they are but they do know that i'm adopted and they Mm -hmm. respect me for being who i am like oh yes what's up
1: that's awesome. Yeah. Because that doesn't always happen. Um, yeah. I've heard you know stories where people aren't really accepted because they live in America or they're adopted and they have white parents or you know a mm-hmm. transracial family or something.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, but but so so is that? Do you mean to say that you feel like your adoption does make you more aware of your appearance?
0: It does. It does make me more aware of my appearance and appearance and how I am in general. Mm -hmm.
1: And how do you feel about that? Like, are you proud to be an, a person, you know, of, of Asian descent, like an Asian looking person? Are you? Yes.
0: I am very proud of how I am now.
1: Yeah. And do you feel like it was always like that? And if it wasn't, then how were you able to change something negative that you did feel into that pride
0: hmm i i think that when i was younger i think i wasn't proud of who i was and everything mm-hmm. like
1: why do you think
0: i it was around like 5th grade or something when i was younger like i wasn't like i just was i was at like a point where i was like i didn't feel like i was really myself at mm-hmm. the time Mm-hmm. And just having my identity to being like, what am I really? Am I American or am I like Korean? Like what right. am I at that point? Because I feel like everyone that I've known in the past has had that experience.
1: Absolutely. Definitely. And and how did you find the answer to that question? Like what was that process for you?
0: I think it was more of a it took a long time for me to process a lot. And I'm more accepting myself as more as a Korean at this mm-hmm. point mm-hmm. as over time. So Mm -hmm. it's just more and more over time i'm going to be more korean over time but like the american side of me is still going to remain in my heart
1: right yeah and do you feel at peace with that uh that duality that exists
0: yes i've uh like i've accepted terms with it and and i'm still trying to get it all into all into like one piece and just having it all be you know what's the words i'm trying to get the words but it's it's not coming out properly. It's okay. Take your time. Yeah. 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 I think Uh, it's like, like keeping it all like accepting that's what it is.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, uh, accepting, um, all, you know, everything Mm -hmm. that makes you who you are, like your identity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What would you say to, uh, someone young you know someone younger the next generation the future generation mm. of adoptees in terms of that in terms of knowing who you are
0: you're not alone there's every, everyone else has had that struggle and experience of what you're going through once that happens don't hesitate to ask for help you there are resources that you can go to you can even ask an older adoptee Mm -hmm. questions and they are more than welcome to answer them even myself too Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. definitely and what is a piece what is something that you would say to uh people who are considering adopting
0: don't be afraid to adopt there are kids who want a second chance at life if that makes sense and keep as much of their culture but not a lot of it don't like force it into them like have it on the table for them to if they want to be involved in it that's up to them if they want to be open to it that's totally fine If they don't you don't have to they like later on in the future it will come to them and then they'll start learning more about it because that's what technically happened to me i kind of put that all aside for now and then like during my after high school and going to college i got more into it
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's great advice. Yeah. It's usually, it, it always takes time. It's it never, yeah, it's never going to happen right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is something that you wish everybody knew about adoption and being an adoptee?
0: Hmm. I'm not really sure. Honestly, if I'm being honest, ah, God.
1: take your time. It's okay.
0: Yeah. 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 I think that, like, the one thing I wish I'd, like, known, is that right?
1: No, like, what's one, Mm. well, I mean, yeah, you can share that for sure. Mm. uh, But, like, what is one thing you wish everybody knew?
0: Ah, one thing I wish everyone would knew is, like, when they were, like, really born on because there were some times I've talked with other adoptees who don't really know their birthday in particular, especially Mm. their time frame as well because there are some who know their birthday and their time frame, while there's others who don't really know it, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel bad that they don't really know their true birthday.
1: Yeah. That, you know, it's funny. You should say that because that's def- I'm in that boat. I mean, oh. I, I thought I knew. And then, I mean, I, I, I thought it was, I thought I didn't know. And then I talked to my mom and then I, th- then I thought I knew. And then, I talked to her again and I got it wrong. So now I have to, <laughs> now I have to talk to her again and figure it out. So Tell me
0: this um, is awesome.
1: yeah, so complicated. And and I feel like there are so many adoptees who probably are going through the uh, the exact same thing or something similar, yeah. because as you said, like there's no, it's so hard to like keep records of in that kind of way about the mm. time you were born and when and where and all that stuff.
0: Oh yeah, the whole nine yards.
1: Yeah, do you know, do you have that information about your own adoption?
0: Um I do have all the records I have all the papers that I have for my adoption from like my birth date and everything I have the time actually which is funny because my mom actually tied it on a chalkboard and everything and mm-hmm. she took a photo of it it was like around 11 43 p.m. I think I mm. I had to double check that
1: oh cool okay wow that's awesome yeah I mean if you know your your birth time and your birth date and you're an adoptee that's then you know how special that is. I feel like you already know. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I mean, thank you so much, Cameron. This has been amazing talking to you. Same Uh, to you as well. And thank you for being so open and willing to share, you know, so much of yourself and your story. Uh, And it it was such a pleasure to have you here.
0: Same. Really big honor to be on here, honestly.
1: Uh, Thank you so much to the audience, to you guys for listening and We will see you next week. All right. That is a wrap on my conversation with Cameron. I know it was a little bit shorter than some of my other interviews are, but that is just the nature of these things. Some interviews are longer, some are shorter, and it is all okay. So um, for the reflection segment today, I wanted to talk about this idea of accepting ourselves or accepting yourself and, you know, what makes you you or being you you know you do you like that's what they say and so I wanted to talk about that um, concept because I feel like it comes up a lot not only when you're a young adult and in life in general but it comes up a lot especially when you're talking about adoptees adoption and all of that stuff just because there's an extra layer an extra step if you will to discovering um, who you are, or you know, quote unquote, who you really are. So it's a really relevant subject for adoptees that I wanted to take a minute to chat about with all of you. So, getting into the more technical uh, terms and psychology behind that idea of you do you, be who you really are, and all of those sayings that I'm sure we've all heard um, in psychology. A lot of what that describes is the process of self actualization, um, which basically is just the idea of like achieving your highest level of personal and psychological development where your personal potential is fully realized. So, to put it another way, the realization or fulfillment of one's potential especially considered as a drive or need now the second piece you know when you consider it like a drive or a need comes from maslow's hierarchy of needs which if you've ever taken psych 101 you hopefully learned but for our non-psychology students in the audience um maslow's hierarchy of needs is basically if you you know to you know so put it simply, if you took the food pyramid and changed it to be a psychological pyramid or a needs pyramid. At the bottom or the base of the pyramid, you have all of your physiological needs, so like food, water, shelter, things like that. One tier up from that is safety, and that encompasses things like having employment and having health care. Um then Up from that is relationships, and that means, you know, all of your familiar relationships, your friendship relationships, uh, your acquaintances, all of your relationships with all of the people that you know. After that, we have esteem. Now that could mean uh respect. You have respect from others and you respect yourself. It could also mean things like freedom. You know, you you have autonomy. You can drive where you want when you want and things like that. Then you get to the top of this pyramid or the the, the top of this hierarchy of needs that Maslow describes. And the top portion is self-actualization, which, you know, as we've talked about, is realizing your full potential. So when we talk about self-actualization as a drive or a need, that is the context that we are talking about it in. The context is this hierarchy of needs, this pyramid where you know, our, our food and water and shelter are on the bottom. And you know, the most literal needs, I guess you could frame it as are on the bottom. And then the most abstract intangible need is at the top, which is self-actualization, your own potential. Now, back in the sixties and seventies, self actualization used to be talked about a lot in terms of relationships and particularly marriage. It used to be, at least in America and American culture, that you would have this self actualization uh, through your marriage, and you would look to your partner to fulfill, you know, each layer, each tier of those needs. Now, today some people would argue differently, but I would argue that our self we're learning that our self-actualization needs to come from within. And if, in fact, if it comes from other people or relationships with others that we have and not the relationships that we have with ourselves, then we're really not actually achieving that self-actualization. And then we're left getting to the top of the pyramid uh, without a strong foundation because we've relied on others and other relationships to do all of that work for us. And I think that that idea is reflected now more than ever in my conversations with adoptees because what I hear all the time is, you know, I'm just discovering myself, I'm discovering that I do want to be more Korean than I have been or I do want to be in touch with uh, this culture that I previously had no interest in and realizing that all of these things do add up to create an identity and we need that identity to self-actualize right to fill to reach our highest levels of potential because how do you do that if you don't know who you are? Another uh, reason why it's especially relevant to adoptees is for interracial adoptees in particular, uh, because you are put in this environment that has an established culture uh, and an established way of life already, and... A lot of the time, especially if you're a baby, you just kind of accept that as your own and you don't question it until something happens to you where you realize, oh, I've just been accepting it as the way it is and it's not actually what my best version of myself is and it's not how I'm going to reach my full potential, even though there may not be anything wrong with it. So yeah, I feel like a lot of the larger wondering questions that adoptees experience a lot all have to all have to do with the idea of self-actualization and it comes back to this idea of having an actual self and a best self and you know how do we find comfort and familiarity with that duality How do we exist with that duality in a way that, like, helps us get to that full potential and that best self? Another thing I wanted to add while we're on this subject, more directed to um, parents or people who are considering adopting a child, is this idea of the Michelangelo effect, which, is from the book The All or Nothing Marriage by Eli Finkel. I don't know if he invented that the like the effect or if he just talks about it or anything, but that this is where I heard about it. So the Michelangelo effect is basically, you know, Michelangelo was convinced that he didn't impose what he wanted the sculpture to look like as he was making it. What he did was unleash sculpture that was already inside the rock and all michelangelo did was help unleash it help free it from inside the rock now i think every every single person on earth has the power to uh, quote unquote you know be the sculptor in the sense that in all our relationships we can either be someone who helps bridge the gap between the actual self and the best self, or we can be someone who hinders that and gets in the way of that in our relationships. Now, parents or people who are interested in adopting, this is especially important because you are automatically in the sculptor role when you adopt, especially if you're doing an international adoption and especially if that if the child you're adopting is younger or a baby. You have the power to be the sculptor and you can either help unleash and free whatever was already there, or you can hinder that process. And I think something that parents in particular or future parents of adoptees should be especially aware of in terms of this uh, Michelangelo analogy is Sometimes the version of your child that they want to grow into is not the version of your child that you want them to grow into. I think that is key. And I mean, you know, I get parents who reach out to me and ask me about advice uh, in terms of parenting their adopted children. And I say to them, you know, make sure that. You allow that child to develop into their own person because the fact that they're adopted into your family and your culture does not mean that that's who they're going to become. They're still their own person and they're going to have an identity development process that is completely different and unrelated to yours, the parents, I mean, or the parents' culture. And just to be aware of that can really help uh, both sides feel unburdened and so I think that's a great you know little way to remember it sometimes you know I'll say it again sometimes the version of your child that you want them to grow into is not the version of your child that they want to become and grow into and just to be aware and conscious of that can really really make a big difference so again that was just kind of me going over a lot of the you know big wondering questions of who am i and what makes me me and what is my identity and basically putting a psychological term for those questions right because again we always feel more comfortable with things when we can label and identify them so I would say all of those questions are related to this idea of self-actualization, the idea of reaching your fullest potential and bridging the gap between your actual self and your best self and being at peace with that existing duality. The phrase self-actualization, remember it comes from Maslow's hierarchy of needs which is that pyramid that has all of our physiological needs at the bottom like food and water and shelter followed by safety, relationships, esteem, and then self-actualization at the very tippy top. Then we go into the uh, Michelangelo effect where you have the role of sculptor unleashing and freeing whatever was already existing uh, within the rock instead of molding the rock to fit Michelangelo's creation. And again, I first heard about that terminology aside from school um, in Eli Finkel's book, The All or Nothing Marriage. So yeah, I think that's a wrap on today's episode. I really hope everyone is still liking these segments at the end of uh, each interview. I My goal is really just to help identify and put a name or a label to things that have already been discussed and already seem like a universal experience in the world of being an adoptee and um, demonstrate for you all how I break down these things and how I use my background in psychology to understand what's being said and what's going on, not only in my mind and the minds of those who I interview, but in the minds of adoptees everywhere. If you have been liking the change up to this season and this new segment, as well as the Q&A segment at the beginning, at the top of the show, the best way to show your support is to participate in the weekly Q&A and the weekly Ask the Audience. That is where I get all of the content that you hear me talk about in these new segments, so do not miss out. Okay, roll the outro. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'm Adopted, Now What? Hosted by me. Liza, if you liked what you heard, then please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Leave a good review and share this episode with a friend. If there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on a later episode, DM me and tell me all about it. You can do that and find this podcast on Instagram and Facebook at imadopted.podcast. See you there.